0: Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. Now after giving the Godfather trilogy a bit of a roasting last week, we're now taking on another classic and asking, just what is so great about it anyway? In anticipation of the new Blade Runner film coming out this week, we are dissecting the original Ridley Scott cult favourite. By original, I mean the third version of the original. Uh, If you disagree with our thoughts today, then please come to facebook.com forward slash Diminishing Returns podcast and we'll be happy to tell you why you're wrong. And in the meantime, enjoy.
1: Blade Runner. (laughs) He's a man. Or is he actually a robot? <laughs> oh, yes, he's a robot. Or is he? Says Ridley Scott. <laughs> this is great. That'll do, actually. I was, Spoiler I was, alert. I was trying to figure out what to do for an intro, but that, that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> um... Hello, we're we're doing Blade Runner on diminishing returns this week. Woo! Diminishing returns—the show Woo. where we review a film and then we come up with an idea for a sequel, maybe, but it's <laughs> often more of an afterthought, really. <laughs> so I am Sol, and with me are Calvin.
2: Do you mind if I smoke? <laughs>
1: I'm doing
2: a quote from the film. <laughs> And Alan?
0: I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. (laughs) Is that it? Is that the line?
1: (laughs) Something about... (laughs) Something about spaceships off the coast and... Tears in rain.
2: Oh,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. Tears in the rain. That's always a nice line. Very poetic. Mm -hmm. So, Blade Runner was one of our very, very earliest uh, listener requests.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, people, people suggest all sorts of different things, and mostly we try and we try and because we knew the Blade Runner remake or whatever it's supposed yeah. to be was in the works, we kind of held off. Also, because <sighs> it's shit, and I didn't want to have to watch it again.
2: <laughs> well, oh, really? Oh, Okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about this new film. Do you guys? I mean, it's, it is, uh, seems to be a sequel. He's playing the same character 30 years later. Should we save so.
1: discussion of yeah. it for after the main film, I guess? I, I don't have a, ma- a massive amount of knowledge of what's what to expect. but uh,
2: Neither do I, but I, I don't know if many people do, because it's mm. not as if even the first film is terribly uh, plot-dependent <laughs> or plot-focused, yeah. uh, but I, I guess we'll get into that. Mm. Um, in fact, I was thinking when I was watching Blade Runner about halfway through, if we should just, like, copy and paste our critique of uh, Ghost in the Shell to to this episode and just replace Ghost in the Shell with Blade Runner. I wonder if we're going to have a similar sort of discussion. I I found a lot of similarities between those two films.
1: So you think Alan's going to dismiss it, I'm going to dismiss it, and you are going to kind of go with it as a collection of themes and ideas that don't necessarily hold up within a narrative? Yes, I think Should we just Harrison call it a day indeed. on that? We
0: may as well. <laughs> 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 Pretty much someday.
2: <laughs> well, oh, no, no, we no. need to have Soul complain about how all um, Harrison Fords look alike and how there's they no do. Uh, artistry involved in the uh, physical depiction of Harrison Ford in film. In the plot stolen, from, stolen from an episode of
0: Twilight Zone.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet it is, you
2: know. <laughs> Well, okay, should we, should we talk a little bit about how we came to Blade Runner? If we'd seen it before, we normally do yeah. that. Um, I'll start. I first saw this film uh, when I was 10 years old, which is not the age you should be watching this film at, but I was recommended it because it's Harrison Ford and it's sci-fi and you really like Star Wars. Why don't you watch this? Hmm. It's really not the same thing. <laughs> uh, back then, I think... I'm pretty confident. My dad had it on video, and I'm pretty sure it was the director's cut, but I I kind of vaguely remember there being a Harrison Ford voiceover, so maybe it was the huh. theatrical cut. But then I don't remember the happy ending, so yeah. I, I I don't know which version I saw. Where, which versions did you guys see? Have you seen it before, before watching it for this review?
0: Yeah, I mean, I yeah. <clears throat> I came to it a long time ago. It was it, back when I was a teenager, I guess, uh, and I was getting more and more into film. And so, you know, you go through all those classics and you start working your way through like these films that you know of. Um, mm. And this was one that I watched and it was like, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> I'll just keep quiet about that because I, I don't really, because it's really famous and people really like it. But I thought it was shit. I'm just, uh, okay, I forgot that. So then try. I tried it again since and then I like, didn't like it. And then last year, maybe, uh, maybe the year before, I went to see it at the cinema because it was on. I thought, right, I'll give it a chance on the big screen. Oh. Uh, I took my friend who'd never seen it and it was just interminable. It was extremely boring. Um, and uh, shit, still. And by that point, I was a lot more confident in my own opinion, so I was just like, this is shit. (laughs) I've (laughs) done that with so many films. And then, then, uh, basically, I just watched it again the other day in preparation for this. And I must admit, my, my opinion's slightly improved. I think I just got I, I was able to appreciate the visuals a bit more, and there were certain elements of it that I like. Mm. I still don't think it's a good film in any way, but uh, it wasn't quite as bad as my previous experience, because I was. it was actually one of those um, open-air th- uh, cinema things, and it was uh, uh. really freezing cold, which I don't think helped the experience. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: Calvin, have you, have you got any films that you hated when you saw when you were younger, but didn't dare go against the grain on, and then you re-watched and were like, yeah, it's shit? Ah! <gasps> I feel mm. like we probably all have one of these as, like, a film mm. student. Yeah. I don't know. I, I never liked um, 2001
2: very much when I saw that. Mm. I still don't really care for it very much, but I don't think I ever mm. pretended to like it. I'm trying to think hard about... What, I, I, like
0: wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say I pretended to like something, but I would kind of, like... I wouldn't voice...
1: Yeah, but you just keep quiet. You 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 give it you you maybe give it a six out of ten on IMDb because <laughs> yes, you exactly, think well yeah. that's not great yeah. but <laughs> you're showing right. that
0: you don't approve but you are
1: not
2: quite... yeah
1: <laughs> that's exactly it yeah. I I did that with um with Scarface it was one of the first films I came to when I was trying to get into film mm. and everyone mm. goes on about it and I sort of didn't dare critique it like I didn't dare get into why it's awful and I rewatched mm. it again more recently thinking. No, I'll appreciate it now. I, I'm I'm a bit more mature, and I get films. It's like, oh no, this is this is a load of puerile shit aimed at thirteen-year-old boys who think they're it for. Yeah, it's <laughs> really fucking dreadful. It's interesting, well, there. Um,
0: uh Calvin, you kind of compared this to two thousand one then, in terms of well, in terms of what you mm. were talking about your experience. I think this Mm. falls into a very similar category to 2001. And and similarly, I don't really think much of 2001 either. Yeah, it's very kind of poetic. It's very arty and kind of avant garde, but in a way that Mm. it's okay for men to like.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's not poncy. I think it allows a certain
0: audience to express something that they don't usually do. Um, Mm. I think I might be a little bit, being a little Mm. bit of a, snob about that <laughs> but um yeah
1: well I I've had a really weird experience with this film and maybe you guys can help me with this but mm. like I first watched this film maybe maybe seven years ago eight years ago okay so I I, I was about 20 I I absolutely loved it like I oh. sat down I I was in a position where I like had nothing I, I needed to kill you know a few hours and I just had like a film or two. So I was really kind of captive audience and sort of that factored in. But I sat down and I was just utterly engrossed by it. I thought it was really engaging, really wonderful, just everything about it. I was absorbed by the world. And yeah, I loved it. And I went away thinking, what a wonderful film. It's It's been in my top 100 uh, films of all time for a while. I rewatched it like, last night, uh, for this podcast. <laughs> I, what 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 did I see in this film? Can you
2: help me? Oh, come on now. It's... Uh...
1: Well, it's it's okay, but I don't get what I liked it for. I don't I mean, understand. I,
2: well, I think it's visually stunning for a star. Oh, think, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, I'll stand by yeah. the visuals.
1: Yeah, it's visually absolutely beautiful. Mm. And I um, think if...
2: If you are just looking for that kind of sensory experience, but I'm—I
1: and... never am. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, it's it's sort of like watching Catsy or something like that, isn't it? It's just a mm. collection of beautiful images. Well, say, I but... think uh, it has it has
0: a lot of ingredients. It's obviously, got a great director, great cinematographer. Mm. Um, there aren't really any good actors in it, but
2: uh, oh watch...
1: no, <laughs> no, come on,
2: Rutger Hauer's brilliant in this.
1: James Hong is the best in the best well, actor. I'll, this I'll go with
0: that. I'll agree with that. <laughs> Calvin, uh, who did you say was good in it?
2: Rutger Hauer.
1: <sighs> he is. I don't get.
2: I don't get, He's uh, so Hauer's in the role. It's it's incredible yeah. to watch when he's going crazy at the end and chasing Harrison Ford around that um that building. He's really going for it. I I think it's very admirable. Um, I love what he's doing. I don't think he's great in other things, uh, but here he's yeah. Even Sean Young is all right here, and she's appalling in everything else that she's ever done. But then the whole point is that she's supposed to be playing this, uh, you know, is she, Semble. isn't she a replicant, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, would you, I mean, sh- sh- you can basically, just for listeners to refresh them, the plot is basically that Harrison Ford is Rick Deckard, uh, a Blade Runner. It's, it's which
1: Reverse is- Terminator. It's, yeah.
2: Um, Rick Deckard is charged with finding these escaped replicants, which are basically robots. Uh, and he does that.
1: Um, and he has and to hunt them down and terminate them.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the film is pitched as a sort of neo-noir crime thing, but it's... I it's, think it, it hits not, that
1: tone fairly well. It superficially the, speaking, yes, superficially. But in
2: like plot-wise, it's I mean, even, I mean, these old noir films, these detective stories that this one is sort of um, masquerading as, they normally you know try to make sense and <laughs> have a man investigating and picking up clues and following this lead and that lead, and that they normally
1: end up with a man and a femme fatale in a. Dark room together for half the running time, just kind yeah. of getting existential. And this is more of an action movie. Oh, I, of. I, I mean, I'm, I'm
2: very annoyed because on the on the back of the Blu-ray that I've got, they make a point of saying the action-packed uh, yeah, Blade Runner, action-packed. and it's like it's not action-packed <laughs> in the slightest.
0: I don't think it's supposed to be. I think that's that's marketing mm. trying to sell something that they're not sure about. Mm, uh, mm. It's certainly not. That's not an intention and it fails. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. much more yeah, introspective than that. Yeah. Well, well, that's that's the trouble. I'm not quite sure what it is trying to say. Or um, if it's it, like, I feel like there should be some sort of message about the nature of humanity or mm. uh, some kind of meaning behind any of it. And I haven't yet worked out what it is. Um, so if you can help me out with that, that'd be great.
2: Well, I I think it just falls into the Ghost in the Shell. We talked about similar themes with Prometheus uh, and the Michael Fassbender character mm. in that another Ridley Scott film. I think it's a it, it a collection of themes and ideas that there's no conclusion. There's no. It's more of an exploration and thought provoking. I think of
0: exploration of what?
2: Um, of what it is to exist and be sentient. Mm. I suppose. I mean, the whole thing with Rook Hauer is. Meeting his creator and getting angry because yeah. he, you know, he didn't ask to be alive and have this four-year uh, time limit on his life, and he kills his creator. Uh...
1: Do either of you have a theory as to why I liked it seven years ago? I,
2: I, I can imagine if you were in the right mood for it, it would. Mm. Um, well, I was in the right mood sweet for spot. it
1: last night. I, 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 bought I have the film on DVD. I've had it for a while because I, I. I liked it so much, even though I'd only seen it the once. And so I, I popped my DVDs cherry and, and, and <laughs> gave it a go. And it, it just kind of, I was I was excited to watch it. And it just, I don't know, I got about 10 minutes in, like, yeah, yeah, Blade Runner. And then it was like, oh, oh, oh. I
2: mean, it it is meandering uh, and quite boring for a lot of it. I mean, uh, it's...
1: It's to the point that I was questioning if I'd, you know, seen a different cut the first time. (laughs) I'd accidentally found another one, but I don't think I had. I'm pretty sure I saw the final cut both times.
2: From what I gather, there isn't all that much difference in the cuts. I think the main things are the voiceover, the ending, and the unicorn. And those are the three big differences. I'm guessing we all saw the final cut? There's some
1: violence.
2: Oh yeah, and some added violence, and the final cut has some CG enhancements to um, yeah. certain scenes, and like yeah, yeah. So we all saw the final cut for this review, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, it okay. seems to be the definitive one that people go to. I have seen like the happy ending and all that. I kind of looked at them, looked them up at some point and to mm. sort of see what the differences were. So I kind of know what they did with that. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I do prefer the director's cut or the final cut.
2: Well that's the further confusing thing because they released the director's cut and was it 92 or something like that but it wasn't strictly a director's cut it was just studio executives were discovering that the film had found a cult following and sort of just followed some of Ridley's old notes Well and Ridley was involved like I think he oh, was I think he? he
1: gave he gave as much of his time as he could but he was busy on Thelma mm-hmm. and Louise yeah. so uh, I think he I think okay. he was giving input
0: Basically they found an old work print that was like yeah. a, a screening a test screening c- a cut so mm. this started getting around and then ridley scott was like well you stop showing that it wasn't my director's cut it was just something yeah. we threw together before we had a final edit <laughs> so get like if you want a director's cut right. then i'll do a director's cut but then yeah i get it like he didn't quite have the time his schedule so then the director's cut that they actually released was kind of a, a compromise between the two mm. and so then like whatever it was 14 years later or whatever it was like he sort of finally did it properly how he huh. yeah. how he yeah. co- best he could
2: oh, okay Hmm, that's interesting.
0: But I, I, this is you know you know how I, you know how I hate director's cuts and I think it's just plain yeah. bullshit. Yeah. This I, I can go with it with this one because the studio forced to have it in, so he's like been able to yeah. take all that out. There's certain elements are like that, but then it's like when you read the notes about it, the differences, like oh this scene is uh, four seconds longer, this scene has one more line of dialogue. It's like for f- grow up, like just. <laughs> I mean, with,
2: well, with with Blade Runner, it irritates me because and I know that the other versions were available for a while, but now unless you want to like pay. Yeah. You know, dozens of pounds on eBay for the original collector's set. The only version you can watch is the final cut. And that mm-hmm. annoys me, I think. They they should include at least the original theatrical cut as, well, yeah. as standard. So, obviously the film wasn't received very well when it first came out, but now it's got a huge cult following. Why do you think that the film is... Popular now, I I hesitate uh, on uh, so popular because I don't know if I've, it's one of those things where the internet tells me that it's a cult film and that it's really popular, but I've never actually met anyone who likes it all that much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I well, I I up until last like night, I would have said I loved it. <laughs> yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah it's,
2: I I
0: think it's it's for people who have no great emotional depth.
1: Oof. The thing is, when I when I watched it, I wasn't really interested in any depth like that. I just found it interesting and compelling. Well, for... that's what
0: I mean. That's why that's why you liked it then and not mm. now because you weren't. It's not for people who are looking for emotional depth. It's for people who don't <laughs> who aren't looking for that. But then it's something that makes them think they've found it. they go, oh, wow! I think this mm. this is
1: really deep, man. But mm. what got me through all the really slow bits then? If I didn't even. Care about that?
2: <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it it does have a, a kind of a hypnotic quality to it. I would say. I I don't know. I think it is captivating. Do you guys think that the um the Harrison Ford noir voiceover that none of our versions had would have helped in some way? Cause I I can understand why it Ridley Scott turning in his version of the film to the producers and the mm. producers would look at it in the studio execs and think, oh my god, how the what on earth is this? We need to make some sense out of it. We need the voiceover. I don't think it's an entirely bad idea. Like, I don't think this is a case where studio execs came in and ruined something. I think, to be honest, yeah, if I was in that position, mm. it's probably what I'd the, do.
0: Generally speaking, this is a bit of a generalization, but if you're using voiceover, particularly for exposition purpose, then you've failed at telling <laughs> a story. Um, uh... and now, and that's not to say voiceover can't be used well, and even if it's for exposition, yeah. it, it's, it can be used. Uh, but I think it's not... It's, it's a bit of a last resort, and it, it has to be done well to get away with it's
1: it. It's a lazy um,
0: tool. It's the, the sort of thing where you go, awesome. oh, shit, this doesn't make any sense. We better have a voiceover.
2: Well, I, I don't know. I think, you know, Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity, some great film noirs have utilised voiceover.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not saying... Like I say, it can be done well, and if it's done as in, like, Sunset Boulevard, it basically sets up the suspense of, like, oh, what the hell happens here? Mm, you know? Mm. Um, and it can work... Like it's used in Shaw- Shawshank Redemption for example, uses it, and it's not particularly necessary. Well, I still think it's mm. a good film, uh, but I'm not. I don't think it really adds anything to it.
2: I would have appreciated a bit more um, exposition in this film. From what I hear, the uh, the problem with the voiceover from the theatrical cut is that it's just not very good, and it's exactly what you said, Alan. It's well, like... that's because
0: it was it was slapped on by the director didn't want it, the actor didn't want to do it, <laughs> so it was yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a well done piece. <laughs>
2: Interestingly, yes. one of one of the more interesting things in the documentary, I thought, was um, they have the producers talking about uh, how they insist on the voiceover and all this kind of stuff, and then they cut to Ridley Scott saying, "Like, no, it wasn't the producers; it was me. Of course, I wanted the voiceover. You don't want <laughs> people to misunderstand your creation." So, I'm not quite sure who's telling the truth there. That's I, I can't that's, imagine. Was that-, is,
0: was that was that an interview recently or from the
2: time though? uh 2007 I mean the voiceover That's was in the weird. script in both versions that there two writers work on the film and in huh. both versions of the screenplay there was voiceover but that voiceover wasn't the one that was used for the final version they got some other guy mm. in to to do that
1: Well I I will say I if I'd been in that test screening back in the day I I probably wouldn't have liked that ending because the one thing I remember is as much as I loved the film when I first watched it I really hated the ending, and I was really thrown by it. I thought, well, that's just ruined the film. And I went away for 15 minutes and really thought about it, and <laughs> slowly came to the conclusion that I was given everything I needed, and that the ending was fine, and it didn't matter. But hmm. for whatever reason, I was really like, what, you're calling it a day there? That's a shit ending, when I first watched it. Hmm. and So I don't know, I, I maybe that audience just needed, like, 15 minutes to digest the film that they weren't given before <laughs> filling in those cards mm. Possibly Can we talk about um, one of the big
2: elements of the film um, and that is the debate as to whether Harrison Ford's character is a replicant, is a robot
1: I was going to say, this is something that's conclusively equ- like answered in the final cut, isn't it? I think it yes. was a question in the original version of the film Yeah. Oh, but- okay then Huh? Because in the final cut, I,
2: I, I, know that I understood this as being something that was sort of debated about for ages. Uh, but yeah, it, it's very conclusive to me in the final cut. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, Harrison no Ford has that. a daydream about a unicorn, and then there's a unicorn origami yeah. at the end um, that a character leaves behind. And also, all the replicants in the film have like this weird, like orange tint in their eyes in some scenes Mm. and harrison ford has that exact thing in one scene so i'm like okay yeah he's a replicant
0: well here's here's my thoughts right i when i watched it last night i was very much thinking all right let's have a think about this is he a replicant idea or not and i don't think there's any i don't unless you're looking for it if someone says to you hey is is he a replicant or not and you watch it you can find these little clues like you just said but i think if you just watch it they don't jump out it's not apparent the unicorn. What about the, the unicorn? All oh, the unicorn. He
1: dreams about a unicorn, and then yeah. the guy ha- makes a little paper unicorn. Yeah. which basically says, pr- is, "That's him saying, I know what you dream about.'" I, I, I don't feel that that is conclusive proof. And I feel like if I was watching this for a first time, but, but that's with what a he does throughout slate. the film. He makes the little paper things based on their dreams, doesn't he? That's yeah, the, whole...
2: the Edward James Olmos character. Yeah. He
0: makes little yeah. paper characters. I I, ne- I never registered that they were relevant to anything.
1: But the whole thing is they, they make a big song and dance out of knowing the memories and dreams that yeah. are programmed into these things, and that's mm. one of the, mean, the, the, the ways that they can... Yeah, but I don't think that is
0: and... a big enough sort of dramatic conclusion, as in this is obvious evidence of it. It's just... Uh, an origami unicorn it's not I, if, I'd, if I was watching this clean and that idea of him being a replicant in my, wasn't in my head it would not even have occurred to me that it was even part of the plot I would have just had...
1: I honestly don't think I had that idea in my head when I first watched the film and I remember going like hmm I'm getting a bit suspicious as to whether or not he's a robot himself yeah. What, the, I bet I'm annoying so many listeners by saying robot repeatedly instead of replicant.
0: <laughs> well, my my second problem with that is that watching it again and I try to sort of like, oh yeah, does that mean that? Does this mean this? I really don't care if he's a replicant and I'm not sure. And I the reason I don't care <laughs> is because I'm not sure if it matters to what I've just seen. Well, I don't know if it affects the way that that character has been portrayed. Because if he doesn't it know, does... then it doesn't affect him, his behavior, or does it?
1: Yeah, but that, uh... but it affects the reading of the film, regardless of if he himself knows. It definitely affects, you know, what you're seeing unfold. If if he's a replicant hunting down his own kind, if he's, you know, someone who's being manipulated into doing the bidding of of you know the people that made him, or if he's just a jobbing. Blade Runner, like, I, but if, it, if it we see him as a
0: human, then he's just being he's just being forced into doing this thing. He's not. He doesn't seem very happy about it. He's just doing a job.
1: It massively impacts the the attempt at romance in the film when he rapes that. Girl. The rapey, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not rapey. Well, it's that, rape. Yeah, you know, it's not, it's really not like
0: an overtone of rapiness. He just rapes. Yeah,
1: and 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 I was like that's something i didn't remember in the film last time i watched it that really jumped out at me this time and i was like what the fuck it is um, really weird and I, w- and, I, I'm not- and, I, and I couldn't get any reading on it and, and and i think the thing is my best attempt at understanding that scene so for listeners we're referring to a scene in which uh rachel the um replicant woman wants to leave the room and then and then harrison ford like closes the door and won't let her out and then basically forces her, himself on her a bit like James Bond style but he he says like tell me you love me kiss me <laughs> and tell me you want me to kiss me as he as, and and she goes along with it Through and fear. it's this really weird scene and I I, mm. I, I like I, I I spent the rest of the film trying to figure out what the point of it was what he mm. was trying to say just unable to figure it out i I did a bit of reading online just to try and figure out other people's interpretations of it, and and the best attempt I could find to explain it was that it's meant as a love scene. It's meant to show two inexperienced uh, characters, inexperienced with human emotion, kind of him essentially teaching her the way... Like like in Terminator 2, when the little kid teaches him how to smile.
0: I don't know. I think... But I think... (laughs) Sexually aggressive men uh, and rape are inherently human.
1: But put it this way, if he's a replicant, if he's a replicant, then there's something to be said for the idea of them exploring their life and their humanity. Otherwise, he's a human, and he's thinking, ah, she's a sex robot, it doesn't count, whatever. <laughs> and and whilst that makes perfect sense, I don't think that's something the film would bother to include in its narrative, yeah
0: i don't know but i think that's very indicative of this whole film that there's just a lot of things that don't quite add up and and things that don't really make sense and i'm not quite sure what it's trying to say mm. and i think that sums it up pretty well
2: um so alan visuals
1: yes i mean easily the the best aspect of the film um, the problem look, I had here is, like, as good as these looked, I didn't know what had been touched up for the final cut and what was yes, done in the 80s. I must so admit, I, I, really... had a,
0: I had a similar feeling where there was a few bits that were like, that's a bit too good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But not just, not just like, the, the digital effects and that sort of thing, but also, I mean, basically, the lighting was... Beautiful. And it was very, Mm. there was a lot of very deliberate static shots that were very reminiscent of kind of 16th, 17th century art. I'm not much of an art uh, historian, but that that kind of classic um, uh, art uh, that which, I mean, Ridley Scott did something very similar with The Duelists, which was his first feature film. Um, That's often praised for similar things. But yeah, the cinematography, the lighting, and the general, the mise en scène, and the you know the production design—it oh, was absolutely beautiful. And that's something that I very much don't really care about in in general. Um, and, mm. and it's why you know it, it's not even though it's mm. fantastic, it's not enough to get me through this film that yeah. doesn't have a plot. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, you've I'm got you've got to there. kind of uh, give credit where it's due. It's it's fantastic, mm. and 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 that general dystopian look is really really cool. Mm. It's it's kind of been oft repeated. It, obviously, it's got. I mean, go back to Metropolis. It's got its forebears, but yeah, yeah. It, it is the classic. I mean, look at the Ghost in the Shell film. Um, mm. In terms of those like giant screens in the city with Japanese women eating things, it's like it's it's exactly. Well, I made a saying. note of
1: those. That that's just London now. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a train station, you'd go up the escalator thing. Yeah. the train stop. They've just got like Japanese women on big screens eating sushi. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think, like in the documentary, you spend a lot of time talking about the model work and all that kind of stuff. And I think even in the final cut, a lot of it, it like Ridley Scott didn't George Lucas it and like remove all the model work and put in all CG. Huh. The CG was only used to enhance certain effects so if they could remove a yeah. wire here or there or whatever. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, by the the model work was incredible, and they just had you know um, like a hundred foot long gigantic model for that opening shot of LA. You know where it's all the fire coming out and all that kind yeah. of stuff and it is stunning to look at and I, I don't know if you, you guys might have watched the DVD, I watched the Blu-ray and it was like, honest, astonishingly crisp and pristine it looked like it could have been made yesterday
0: I watched the VHS on a 13 inch um, <laughs> <laughs> cathode ray tube television it was, it was fantastic
1: <laughs> yeah um I've made a note actually how much I like the opening scene where that guy's interrogated oh, with the. I think that's. The... Yeah. That's now, a what, really cool why scene. Why is that scene so great, but the rest why? of the film's boring?
2: Well, that's that scene's a good hook. It's like. I, it's I really good,
1: isn't it? We've spoken yeah. about really this before. Compelling... I think
2: Ridley Scott makes good individual scenes. He makes good, like, all that stuff when that woman is running through and Harrison Ford shoots her and she falls through the mm. glass. Like, all of that. I'm really excited. Mm. It's a really lovely scene. It just yeah. doesn't tie together. Quite well. Yeah. With everything else. Well, I've I've
1: made a note about that scene actually. About why why does he do a voice? Who? Oh, he's Harrison Ford. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, Harrison Ford sneaks into like blacks his way into a dressing well, room, pretending to be yeah, a, a journalist or something. He's doing a voice. So he does a, he does a silly voice. He goes hello, my, hello, my name's Harris. I'm I'm a journalist. Uh, I'm not Harrison. Yeah, Ford. He d- he's
0: a- doing a voice because uh, he's trying to seem less threatening, or he wants to seem you know. Like he's no, no, I'm very innocent. So he's, he's playing this character as kind of a little bit, kind of, I don't even know what's going on myself. Mm. Yeah,
2: that's how I read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he's just sort of like trying to keep her off guard. I, that scene with the woman who's the stripper, I had no idea who she was, um, he, I know he got to her through that snake thing that he'd found, but I didn't know where he'd found that. And then she suddenly ran away from him. He hates And then snakes. he ran after her and shot her. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, why'd have to be snake? And then he, I'm like, who, who is this? Why has he shot her? What's going on? And then the police chief comes in and he goes, oh, well, you got one of the replicants then. And I was like, oh, she was one of the replicants, right. And I, I hadn't picked up on that. I didn't know what was happening. I don't know huh. if I just missed something or if it was, well, was it obvious? I was, uh,
2: I was very confused. you know that they have that whole scene where he's looking at those black and white photographs and he's like zooming in and increasing the resolution yeah. as he goes further and further in? She is <laughs> in one of those pictures. Yes, yeah, somehow so that he...
0: leads him to her,
2: but I don't know how. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Apparently uh, there was a whole scene uh, planned where we were going to see her performance with the, uh, the snake. So mm. it was going to be this huge elaborate, like... Uh, Busby Berkeley musical number with her and the snake and all of these <laughs> sci-fi elements, but they couldn't afford it. Yeah. So they uh, they just have Harrison Ford turn and look over at some lights and a voiceover. Which isn't great. But... Yeah,
0: I didn't, yeah, that didn't make it. I didn't know what the hell was going on, and then he sort of murders someone and like, what? Let's... Yeah. Uh, um, okay, I'm glad it wasn't just me. But yeah, let's talk about that photo enhance uh, scene. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we do love a good bit of... Uh, Increasing nice. resolution. You know. don't we? It's not just that, it,
0: change, it changes the angle on the photo. Like it goes into the photo and moves around something so you can see it.
2: It's like he goes into a reflection in the photo. <laughs> and then changes the angle and then enhances it. It's uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. What I like about it is that it's like oh yeah, it's the future. We'll have voice-activated technology, and it's just incredibly slow and clunky. <laughs> it's just like okay, right, le- right, thirty-two degrees. No, 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 back a bit. Uh, stop. No, stop enhance. It's, oh god, it's <laughs> you, like use who's a mouse on first.
1: It goes on forever. It it is like, far too it's long. Like, yeah. It's like it's like Bob stepping on rakes. <laughs> it's just like. It feels like it's meant to be a comedy because it just—it's absurdly long. Well, the thing long. is,
2: that was when I really started paying attention because I was like, they're spending an awful lot of time on this, so there must be something. It must in be here that I, yeah. And then it—it it kind of isn't. He just finds the snake woman and shoots her, and that's it. Really, that's all it leads to, as far as I'm aware.
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah. <laughs> and and we don't even know how it leads to her, but really, no. <laughs> Hmm. Um, this
2: is the thing, like, it's one of those annoying films where I come away from it and think, oh god, I should have been paying more attention, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I, I left my phone in the other room deliberately so I wouldn't be tempted to look. I was watching it and paying attention the whole way through. and
1: I still thought it was alright, you know, I've been I've been sat here sounding like I don't like it anymore. I thought it was okay. Oh
2: yeah, I, it, it's really easy to critique it and point out the, yeah. the narrative flaws, but I, as a viewing experience, I did really... I well, don't really enjoy it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I liked sitting there.
1: It's just dropped from one of my favourite films to like a passable seven. That's basically what's happened. <laughs> Senor sevens. Siete. Senor. Uh,
2: it
0: was. Yeah. I just found it too boring basically. I, that was its biggest crime. Because if, if it whips along... It was
1: very longer. dry.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, one thing. Here's one thing I do like. Um, I like that Deckard is a character. He's not a fighter. He gets beaten up by everybody he comes across. Uh, and I, I like that. And so and at the end, when he's sort of struggling to survive, and like he's in the fight it is very much he's just getting the shit kicked out of him. And he just mm-hmm. wins by default. Um, but I kind of like that, especially in the 80s. He's not like a super cop. He's just a bit of a sh- 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 shitty bloke who gets his face kicked in every time he tries to arrest someone. You know. Well,
2: I, I, you know, I do wonder whether um, a different leading man might have benefited the film because Harrison Ford mm. does fit into that action hero, Sylvester Stallone sort of. You know, he's Indiana Jones, he's Han Solo.
0: But I think all that. I think that's what Harrison Ford's career is built on—that kind of everyman vibe. Because Harrison Ford, uh, because Han Solo and Indiana Jones, they're not. Like superheroes, they they're kind of normal guys who kind of have to come up and deal with this situation. Like, mm. yeah, I think that's what Harrison Ford's career is built on, really. And I, I'm not a big fan of Harrison Ford. I think he does what he does very solidly, but I've never seen anything particularly interesting from him. And that goes yeah. to this as well. And perhaps I, I don't necessarily think that's bad for this film. And perhaps if he's supposed to be a, a robot, then it, it makes sense. You probably want quite a bland leading man for this film because. It's not really about him the The problem is that the film hasn't quite figured that out. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't know what this film is trying to do <laughs> okay here's another here's another thing right in order to um, identify a replicant they have to go through this very complex
1: kind of emotional survey where they ask them questions about turtles dying. Mm. but why don't they just build them with a question like... Operation code three two one. Are you a replicant? Yes or no? Yes, affirmative. I am a replicant. Yeah, problem solved. Why don't they just have a remote self-drop button? The other thing is right. We we see in the film that they
0: have the ability to withstand extreme heat and cold. Uh, two of the different replicant characters put their hands in something—one that's incredibly freezing cold, one that's boiling hot—without any injury or apparent pain. So. I'm pretty sure you could use that to identify
1: you're absolutely right if but then you end up in like witch trials <laughs> no, well if they're scolded they if they're human they could but if they survive the <laughs> burning at the stake, then they're a replicant and i'm sure I'm sure you can use that basic concept that
0: they are obviously very physically different to humans and find a way to test it in in some in some mm. way that is relatively harmless. Uh, so, Can they uh, do
1: like a blood test? And,
0: like, <laughs> yeah. Well, this blood has got serial numbers on it, they're blood cells.
2: Apparently, you'd yeah. have to go down to like microscopic elements to see the replicants. Mm. Are, you know, I, yeah. I don't know if they've got like. We of,
0: are very capable of getting down to microscopic elements, so that shouldn't
2: be yeah. a problem. Well, because they have this like empathy test, and to be honest, I was watching those scenes
1: thinking, I don't know if I'd
2: pass an empathy test. <laughs> <mind>. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, human
1: uh, beings have different levels of empathy. You, you know, what if the person's a sociopath that they're talking to? Yeah. Well, that. Well,
0: do you know? I was trying. To to figure out when i was trying to figure out what the deeper meaning of this i was trying to figure out if it meant if it was something about sociopaths like a, a, a psychopath test uh and and that's what it was And like oh is the guy who's chasing oh. them actually a psychopath and that's why he's able to do this job where he just kills people and like i thought yeah. that might be some sort of analogy i couldn't quite make that work either but it's better than what they do so know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay here's another thing right about the replicants Obviously they're they're indiscernible from humans, that's kinda of the whole point. And uh and, and Leon, uh who I quite liked when we say in that interrogation scene, and then the stripper, mm. they come across as very human. But Roy Battersby and uh the other Roy one, Daryl Hannah, she, <laughs> they they are both distinctly not very human in their behaviours. <laughs> like they they both just seem really weird and off. I'm pretty sure that the, the sex bot one like is it possible for replicants to be autistic because she's yeah. <laughs> she's definitely not quite right she's just sort of a bit like but i guess if they're supposed to be like socially awkward because they they haven't learned properly yet is that the idea
2: i don't yeah it's
1: just i think they are meant to be I, developmentally stunted a bit certainly i do love that
2: daryl hannah character though i i thought <laughs> like she was Brilliant. Why? With the makeup when she's like flipping around and trying to crush Harrison Ford, and she gets, he, it just, gets like right up his nose at one point. Yeah. It's just really weird. It
0: is. It's just really weird, though, isn't it? That's what.
1: it is really odd. Uh, what was? Do that you know what my favorite thing in the film is? I reckon you can probably guess. Yeah, the
0: little uh, when we go to JF Sebastian's house and he has these little yes. dwarves running around. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like, Honestly, I, like. I thought they were brilliant. Like I like the They're movement so of them was great. I
2: don't know if they if. They they were mime or what? But I, I, I love thought they them. were really
1: good. Or oh, mine. I like the, te- <laughs> sure I like, the I love problems. the teddy bear one the most. But I do oh, like yes. the, the one with the big cock nose. <laughs> <as well. laughs>
0: uh, this, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm moving on to kind of the the end scene where they have the big confrontation. Now, are we ready for that? Yes. Because anyway? yes. this is one thing I like. Uh, you know when you get cramp in your hand and you just ram a nail through it and that sorts it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I,
2: I like that.
0: Well, I, I like that he's kind of knows he's dying or feels himself going. Yeah, but I didn't. He's get, like
1: shutting down. I didn't get
0: how Adrenaline. ramming a nail through it would do any good. Like, Adrenaline. To be fair, you're not a
1: robot. <laughs> but why does that help? Well, you know, sometimes it, a machine you need to like stick a bit of wire in it, jiggle <laughs> it around. Was it just
0: like making an electrical get the parts connection? So
1: <laughs> you take an old video game cartridge out and you blow in it.
2: Can we talk about the dove at the end? Where the <laughs> yeah. hell does that dove come from? I He's been it. keeping it in his compartment. <laughs> well, I mean, he is literally in his like boxes through most of this end scene, and then all of a sudden on the roof, he has this.
1: He's got, a, he's got, he's got, he's a robot, he's got a compartment, and he keeps, it's not a real dove, it's a robot when, dove as well. When
2: you said compartment, I thought you meant like you were making like a budgie smuggling reference, <laughs> and he was like keeping it down his crotch for He was yeah. just such an occasion. Apparently it was just Rutger Hauer's idea and he, he wanted a, a dove to hold for the scene, so they were just alright. No, it, like, it'll tell you what it Rutger is. A
1: it's Rutger the whole point, he's trying to, he's trying to learn the ways of the humans and understand humanity and what it is to be man. He only
0: knows how to do that from watching John Woo films.
1: No, no. (laughs) So, along the way, he becomes fascinated with things like humour, jokes, love, magic. magic. (laughs) And And he becomes an amateur magician. And so he starts carrying little like magic tricks around <laughs> on him at all times if you if you look in his boxes he's got like a, a big coin that you can pull out and go oh what's this is behind your ear he's got some uh trick playing cards and he has a dove down there at all times just to you know
0: no but this 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 really summed up the film for me because it's like we're in the middle of this tense scene they're having a confrontation and then it sort of cuts to him he's shirtless he's in the rain and he's holding a dove and that was kind of sums up the film for me. It's like just a load of pretentious shite that doesn't mean anything, but it, it sort of has this this aura that it, it, it's there's depth to it, that it means something, and it doesn't. It's just a bloke holding a dove, and it, the dove came out of nowhere. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what the fuck it was trying to say, <laughs> and it looks can we, stupid. Can
1: we talk about the, um, the famous monologue? I've seen things you people wouldn't believe.
0: Which I, I did actually like that bit. Yeah. I thought it was a very poetic... Uh, I thought it it's was It's a
1: nice idea. Yeah. And I love the line, the famous line like tears in the rain. Yeah. But don't you think it's undermined a bit by how he just about th- the lines before it are like I've seen flaming yeah, just spacious, meaningless just meaningless Somers. fire <laughs> off the yeah. shoulder and I've Orion. seen the spraggledy bibs b- of g- Algolong g-
2: and I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near
1: the Tannhauser gate. I watched the ma the Man, moon, people of Aralgamon, <sighs> off the. It's just like, you know, what? I, Fuck I, I. I really yeah. liked it
2: because he's saying all this amazing, incredible stuff that no human has seen in it experience. Does, it doesn't. It, it does sounds like is, It's meaningless nonsense. It sounds like he's talking about no watching episodes of
1: Doctor Who. Yeah. He should have <laughs> been like, I've seen the. The smart, the glint in a newborn. <laughs> no, that would have been eye. bollocks as well.
0: No, but if he said <laughs> if he'd said something like "I've seen the peak of Everest," i i've I've seen the Northern yeah. Lights from the North Pole. It's basically saying, "Look, I've in my mm. in my short yeah. time, I've lived more than you ever have." Like, who is more human? But but that's what what I mean is, yeah. If they found something that we could actually relate to and would yeah. mean something to us, rather than some because it just comes across as
1: like bollocks. silly. Yeah. As it is.
0: Because seeing the seeing the what what does he say? Seeing the Tannhauser Gate, like that might be just the 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 border control into uh, France, for all I know. Like it's (laughs) like that means nothing to me. Like Mm. I've seen Czech Pan Charlie. It's mostly
1: stuff that we have no frame of reference for within the film. Yeah. It doesn't it's not even in the story world.
0: We don't know what's going
1: on. That's it. If we'd seen attack ships and other planets and things, I'd be like, okay.
2: in some version of the story it did begin with like some kind of replicant um uprising on an alien planet and the idea was that we'd start with this big action scene but uh, mm. apparently that obviously got cut at some point. Um why does he let him live at the end? Why does he let Harrison Ford live?
1: Because life is precious and I realize now. It just took Because you're to one of us, brother. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It just took chasing him through a house to realise that? Was, was, did he only come to that realisation at the very end, or was he chasing him through the house to be like, oh hey, it's fine.
1: I'm not he had to um, He had to scan him. But like <laughs> we have to get up really close to scan. <laughs> so he finished scanning him to see if he was a fellow replicant, and he was like, oh okay, you're one of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, that's it. Harrison Ford and
2: Sean Young run, mm-hmm. run off, and Harrison Ford runs into the sequel. Sean Young does not. Um. So, should we? Uh. So, has anyone seen a trailer for Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Has anyone seen Blade Runner two through twenty (laughs) forty (laughs) eight? (laughs) Hey, butum. Um.
1: I remember when the trailer came out, and Twitter lost its mind, and everyone was going on about how this trailer teaser, I assume, was mind-blowing and just incredible, and it looked like the film was amazing. I only saw it for the first time in front of something at the cinema that I went to see the other day. I thought it was completely and utterly unremarkable. Mm. um, Kind of just looks like a Blade Runner sequel. I mean, I guess visually it looked like it was pretty.
2: Oh yeah, Um, I mean, it looks great. Uh,
0: I never understood anyone who gets excited about films. And I say that as someone whose passion is films. (laughs) But but in that very immediate sense of, oh my god, I can't wait to see that, I've never felt that about anything. Why not? Because I just just don't care care enough about this.
2: (laughs) Weren't you like that with Alien Covenant? (laughs) No. What's the most excited you've ever been to see a film? What was the film? I don't know. I don't really get excited about anything. Well, anyway, Harrison Ford is in it uh, as an old man, so I don't know whether replicants age... Well, yeah, that's just it. To the age,
1: he's had himself done up. Their skin ages, like but the man. endoskeleton underneath is uh, doesn't. He's <laughs> got
0: very brittle bones.
1: But from what I understand, Ryan Gosling
2: is the lead, like he's the main character. I don't know if they're planning a franchise with this or
1: or, or what. It's the it's the director of Arrival, which is the one thing that makes me actually um, mm-hmm. quite interested to see it. Yeah. But Jared Leto makes me a bit worried about it. (laughs) Gotta be honest. He's a top actor. So, Calvin, give us your pitch. Right, okay.
2: So, this is a direct sequel to Blade Runner set several years after the original. So, um, we open the film on a desert and we follow a young female... As she goes about her business, we see that the land is either sand or junk, and this is basically the Sahara Desert, and it's being used as a giant dumping ground. Now we're gonna call our hero Daisy. And do you know why we're calling her Daisy?
1: Because Hal fancies her.
2: Daisy Daisy it was the first oh, was right. yeah. sound. Yes, yes. Cool. Um <clears throat> Anyway, uh in, in my film, Daisy has a crappy job sorting out junk in this dumping ground, and we find out she we find out that she is in fact a replicant. Um some other people around here are too, and it's basically replicants go to this desert to live out the rest of their lives. It's kind of like an open secret that a lot of the inhabitants of this desert land are replicants, but as long as they keep their heads down and cause no trouble they'll be fine. Now Daisy hears stories about Rick Deckard, Roy Batty and Rachel, who's the Sean Young <laughs> character, and we quickly Discover that they hold legendary status amongst replicants. Now it's just an ordinary day when a new character, let's call him John, arrives in the area and starts yelling to everyone that the Blade Runners are coming. The Blade Runners are coming, and <laughs> um, they're going to destroy by space. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're going to come and try and destroy every replicant that they can find. Um, John is a human, but he's we'll find out why he's you know in the spot of replicants later on. Um, and uh, just as he's explaining this to Daisy, indeed the Blade Runners, which are now an army, attack, and they've got like ships that they come in and like shoot lasers and stuff.
1: Attack ships. Um, what do they look like? What's their what's their armor like? Oof, uh, do silver. they have armor?
2: <laughs> and it's razor blades. Basically, the armor is razor blades.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and they run everywhere. So they're like they're like the Mad Max <laughs> bandits.
2: Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, Daisy and John, uh, run away to find the best available ship, uh, to get away quickly, um, but this ship is blown up in front of them, so they must resort for the nearest vehicle, which we see as Rick Deckard's car from the first movie, which is in this junk pile. Now, um, and we have an exciting action sequence, uh, through the air, and Daisy and John manage to get away. Uh, they're up high in the air when the car is dragged into another larger ship, uh, using a tractor beam. Daisy and John Hyde as the hatches opened and Instep Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard and Edward James Olmos as Gaff <laughs> and uh Harrison
1: Ford says he says we made an old friend and no, then the no he says Olmos looks sir no he says he says gaffy we're
2: home and then <laughs> gaff, re- gaff replies with And now we find out that Gaff is actually much hairier than when we last saw him And now only communicates in roars and grunts So, Daisy and John can't believe that they're meeting Rick Deckard they learn that he is no longer a Blade Runner and that uh, John... and Oh yeah, and then John exposits that the Blade Runners are now an evil empire and they've almost completely turned the moon into a giant base and <laughs> plan to fire a laser beam to the Earth that will destroy every last replicant on the planet. Rick insists the group go and visit his friend Maz Kanata to find <laughs> out more. Uh,
1: well, she, is she like a giant minion?
2: Yes! <laughs> Uh, And meanwhile, we get further exposition where Rick informs Daisy and John that he and Rachel created a child together, Adam, and that that child is now the leader of the Blade Runners. Uh, While visiting Maz the group witness a demonstration of the moon laser uh, as it is fired onto Europe, um, and indeed every replicant perishes, uh, and they uh, don't have long before the moon is charged up enough to have an effect on the entire planet, so the ticking clock. Blade Runners attack and kidnap Daisy, having heard that she, like Rick Rick Deckard and Roy Batty, possesses extraordinary, unique replicant abilities. The Blade Runners are fought off by a surprise appearance from the Resistance, a group of replicant rebels headed by Sean Young's Rachel, uh, uh, who reappears, and obviously we get some dramatic scenes here of Rick and Rachel, before uh, Rick, John, and Gaff head to the moon to rescue Daisy and blow up the base. Um, Of course they save Daisy and Rick is killed uh, by his son Adam as the moon is successfully destroyed. We get a fight sequence between Daisy and Adam. Uh, Both are scarred, but leave alive for the sequel. Um, Daisy returns to the Resistance and gives the bad news to Rachel. Meanwhile, in the corner of the Rebel base, R2-D2 appears and tells everyone that he has discovered the secret location (laughs) of Roy Batty. And uh, Daisy and Gaff head out in Rick Deckard's car to find him. After several shots of... Uh, Daisy climbing to the highest peak on a seemingly deserted island, Daisy clocks a figure in a, in a, oh no, sorry, finds a cloaked figure, who (laughs) reveals himself to be Rutger Hauer as Roy Batty. (laughs) Daisy goes into her bag and pulls out a white dove, she holds it out to Batty, who doesn't say a word, (laughs) a tear appears in his eye, the music swells, and that's where we end the movie, and, uh, we're gonna pick it up in a sequel.
0: (laughs) Cal- yeah. Calvin, I think that was a pretty good sequel to Blade Runner because it, it lost me halfway, and I don't know what the fuck you were talking about for most of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's <was> very <laughs> shall
1: Should I go into mine now? Because okay, uh, yeah, if it's in a similar vein, it's—I mean, it's not really, but uh, basically, I, 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 I think I must have been thinking about our Shallows episode we did. <laughs> I think I wanted to do a, a sequel to. Uh, Still available on themes.
0: dimreturns.com. <laughs>
1: I wanted to do a sequel to some of the themes and ideas we suggested in our episode about To the Shallows. Mm. So, um, it's Leicester, 2019, and ex-footballer Gary Lineker (laughs) is detained by his former manager, Bobby Robson, who now works as the head of uh, this agency. Sorry, who is Um, uh,
2: Gary Lineker again? (laughs) For the listeners.
1: So, for listeners who are either too young or international uh, to be aware of this, Gary Lineker is a professional crisp thief. Who. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who. um,
2: Crisps as in uh, potato chips.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Walkers. uh, As in lays. uh, Yeah, they're lays in America they they hired him in in britain as a a sort of mascot celebrity tie-in in the well i want to say in the 90s, i mean he it was might have even been the late 80s he was
0: he was a very famous footballer and that is real football as in english football um and so that's why he was a celebrity in the first place then he started doing adverts yeah. he's now a tv presenter mostly that's pretty much what he does
1: but uh but he was very well known for this crisp campaign where he would steal people's crisps i think he still does them. I he still he does them.
2: Yeah. But he just doesn't steal them anymore. He gets like caught in uh, harvesting machines, and uh, oh,
1: it, it used to be like things that. like yeah. Wasn't there one where like his ear got chopped off, and then someone opened a bag of crisps, <laughs> and his ear was in it, or something <laughs> yes. like really weird? because <laughs> yeah. he broke into the Walkers factory and fell in a bag of crisps. <laughs> so it's Leicester, two thousand and nineteen. The An ex-footballer Gary Lineker is detained by his former manager Bobby Robson, who now works as the um, head of an agency Bob, Bobby Robson uh, is
0: dead I don't know if you know that <laughs> but, no I don't I don't okay. know anything about football okay yeah he's been dead <laughs> Do you know how long time. it took me
1: to find out I thought it was gonna be like Sven Sven Eriksson or whatever he was called but apparently and, uh, he didn't take Gary over Gary
0: Lineker so. was yeah well before that no Bobby Robson's been dead
1: for some time yeah
0: anyway go on well right, he's, a, <laughs> he's bro- a robot he's an android he's a replicant. robot Bobby
1: Robson yeah <laughs> I mean, I guess it doesn't need to be his former manager. I just no. thought I'd put that in for flavour. We'll just have... We'll oh, okay. <laughs> it can be anyone. Anyway, it turns out Gary Lineker is a former laze runner who, um, <laughs> who works to retire giant, sentient, bioengineered potato crisps that were developed in 2018 <laughs> in a bid to make Walker's crisp production more efficient. Uh, many of them escaped and are trying to assume normal <laughs> lives under the guise of human beings. <laughs> so, uh, Lineker begins his investigation at PepsiCo head office, the, uh, the company that Walker's is a subsidiary of. And he meets the head of the company and her assistant, Rachel and there's a weird spark um, that comes across as a little bit creepy in the modern context, but probably made sense in the 80s. Uh, not that that's relevant. And uh, <laughs> the two hit it off, even though Lineker suspects that she might be a reconstitant, which is what they call the <laughs> potato people, because they're made of reconstituted <laughs> potato product.
2: This is the best pitch we've ever
1: <laughs> so then Lineker goes off hunting down the uh, the outstanding potato men one by one uh, he hunts down Smokey Beckham <laughs> he, sm- he hunts down Cheesy Owen and uh, of course Johnny Vegas
2: <laughs> what?
1: it's a little nod to uh, sex lives of the potato men <laughs> he, uh...
0: oh god
1: Anyway, Lineker then spots Rachel in a crowd, and he's attacked by a man made of twiglets. And uh, (laughs) Rachel kills the twiglet and uh, saves him. Then they have a weird scene where where Lineker goes weird and won't let her open the door, and he gets really predatory. And uh, he tells Rachel to tell him to eat her. (laughs) and She wants him to lick all of the flavouring off of her before crunching down really hard, so she does it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so that's that he then hunts down the big bad at the end of the film and he knows they're in a flat full of weird sentient toys that were given away free in bags of crisps in the 90s <laughs> so they're mostly pog men but there's also a big Jar Jar Binks with a tongue hanging out that's just covered in dust and shit and isn't <laughs> sticky anymore
0: did you get stuff like that in crisps? the only thing you ever got crisps crisp was a £5 note in a little bag no, no,
1: you sometimes the, got you sometimes got pogs in your packets of crisps, no, and the, you got those the jar, jar, Binks jar jar things. jar jar was
2: uh, cereal. Yeah, wasn't it was in
1: everything. Jar jar, those jar jar heads were in everything. They were in packets of crisps. No, they, they were, were in cereal. They were, they were, they were on the beano. <laughs> no, they weren't. They were on everything. You <laughs> could get them on the beano. You oh could. shit! They were in crisps.
2: Were You're
0: they right. supposed to be though? Is it when like you find a mouse a mouse <laughs> in Kentucky Fried Chicken?
1: <laughs> anyway, so uh, they they point him to their leader. They say their leader's behind this door. He's confronted by a big mirror, and Sultan Lineker is staring back at him. <laughs> and uh, it, it turns out he's a, a constant too. <laughs> and he has this existential moment. And depending on which cut of the film you're watching, in some, there's like a really bad voiceover comes on and explains hmm. how he's feeling really sad and having an existential crisis. Hmm. But in other cuts of the film, it's a bit more subtle. And uh, tears in his eyes. He opens wide and begins chomping down on his shoulders, eating himself, <laughs> eliminating the last constant, not because it's his job, but because he can't help but eat delicious Walker's crisps uh. and presented with them. <laughs> you
0: know how we said we wouldn't let the adverts affect the content of the show? <laughs> 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 my, my pitch is all about Casper mattresses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did
2: um? Did, is it a happy ending? Does he
1: get to go away with Rachel or anything? Well, he, he eats Rachel and then he eats himself <laughs> He eats himself, oh, so oh. it is delicious and it. that's good, but he is dead so, you know.
2: Oh, I didn't realise that he um actually destroyed her when he ate her, I just thought he was sort of nibbling <laughs> Nah, he
1: yeah, eats yeah. her You he always yeah. go too far with these things It's horrible, it's, it's carnage Yeah uh, so, Alan, how how are you going to follow that, Alan? <laughs> well, I'm going to do something very
0: different that doesn't involve sentient
1: Chris. <laughs> uh, no, what? I thought we were all going to do Gary at chasing Chris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so my story will centre around a young man. He could be played by Ryan Gosling, just you know that kind of everyman. You know, the backstory we get for this guy is that when he was. Uh, born, he had some sort of medical problem and basically it meant he had to have his legs amputated. So Mm. this is the future, remember? So he's got fake legs. He's got replicant legs. Um, Mm. And they look and work just like human legs. But because the the use of replicants is putting putting people out of jobs uh, because they're being used as cheap labor. um, There's kind of a, a, a general mistrust of the whole thing and there's been a big backlash against it. And so <clears throat> there's a very hostile atmosphere towards replicants and anything to do with it. Uh, that's why they get hunted down by these policemen called Blade Runners, right? So our young hero here, he's decided he wants to join the police force and become a Blade Runner himself. Now, here's the real crux of the story, and certainly the first act of the story. This is going to be a kind of a kind of civil rights allegory. It's um, We're going to explore the psychological grey areas involved with uh, how you identify as a human and and ooh, body shaming. Uh, let's throw anything else that sounds trendy right now. Uh, put that in there. Pretend it's about that. Crisps. Um, it's nothing to do with crisps, <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm trying to sneak some into my... The problem is, I hear I was legs made from the same technology that everybody has grown to hate. Uh, and it's sort of this big backlash against it. And it, it's generally accepted. You know, it's a good thing. It helps disabled people. And the technology itself is... Uh, it's fine, but it's it's kind of all under great scorn. It's it's a bit of an unspoken, dirty little secret kind of thing. Now, the way we're going to tell this bit in the first half is the, the hero's journey will be through police training. And so it starts with him having to fight to even be accepted because they have a no, you know, cyborgs policy. So it's a bit of a legal drama there straight off. He has to fight for his right to be allowed in. And then you can have the whole sort of police academy bit and you've got the other recruits. They don't really trust him. Some of them don't like him. There's one called Biff that keeps knocking him on the head. So, now obviously, he makes a couple of friends. Uh, we can introduce a love interest here, one of the female recruits. Uh, they can start to get it together, and we'll weave that story kind of throughout. We uh, we have a bit more trouble because, like, he finds out his his fake legs—they actually give him an advantage over the other recruits because they, they work more efficiently than human legs. You know, they don't tire out like muscles do. He he can run faster for longer, that sort of thing. And so it's just that so all this thing that kind of people resent him. It makes him different, you know, all that. So, mm. of course, he will eventually he graduates and becomes a Blade Runner. Um it, but then, like his bosses are, they've kind of been legally forced to hire him. Uh, they don't really trust him. they think like oh is he gonna is he gonna chase down replicants and terminate them when he's like he's part replicant himself? Uh, is this so in response to this, he really overcompensates and he's like really one of the biggest kind of replicant haters around and he's like, oh yeah, he kind of we gotta take him down. we gotta kill him. So the main plot of the second half. Is that there's this rumor that the replicants are becoming more and more convincing. It's believed that they've perhaps infiltrated the police. There might be one working undercover. We sort of, you know, weave that in as you go along. Uh, this creates an even te- more tense, paranoid atmosphere. Uh, our hero himself is is suspected, uh, and so he sets out on mm-hmm. his own mission to find out any kind of dirty replicants. He's gonna he's gonna take them all out himself so that you know prove himself. This is gonna mm. es- this is gonna escalate and escalate. We'll see him descend into a kind of obsession. Uh, he begins to suspect everyone, including his friends. He starts suspecting his girlfriend, even uh, every time someone does something even slightly unusual. He, he quest- he's questioning that. Uh, he, he wants to know their reasons for all their actions, and everyone's just getting sick of it. He becomes increasingly isolated. Uh, he starts having dreams uh, about unicorns for some reason. Uh, also,
1: Unicorns with no legs. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, there you go. That's all
0: right. <laughs> Unicorns with no legs. Uh, eventually, his girlfriend does manage to get through to him. They get together again. They they end up going to bed. They fall asleep. Uh, but while he's asleep, we start seeing his dreams again. And he's having paranoid dreams. Even though there, he starts to question why his girlfriend came back to him. Like, what is she up to something? You know, is she trying to get information out of him? Can he trust anyone anymore? Can he even trust himself? Is he just being paranoid? And then bang, suddenly he wakes with a crash. He sits up, jumps up in bed in the gloom. And he can hear someone trying to get in the bedroom. Completely panicking, he grabs his gun. He always just keeps handily by his bed. You know, he's a policeman. And he shoots through the door. Boom. There's a moment of calm. He realises that he's, al- <gasps> he's alone in bed.
2: Oh, I know what you're doing! He
0: opens the door, and it was his no. girlfriend on the other side of the door. He's inadvertently <laughs> killed her. He's, he's shot her. So he's... In-
1: oh, God, I nearly made these comparisons myself <laughs> earlier, but I thought they'd be in bad taste, <laughs> so I didn't go there. <laughs> i'm not worried about such things we don't like bad taste on this <laughs> yeah, show yeah, we much prefer the good taste Walker's of crisps. pickled onion <laughs> monster munch. <laughs>
0: so anyway that's that is pretty much it like see, he's in shock the police turn up they're working out what happened he's being arrested he no longer knows what's real or not why was she out of bed is she a replicant did he mean to kill her Did he know what he was doing? Is he a replicant? Does any of it matter? If if, if humanity loses its humanity and have less humanity than those they fear who are robots, does any of it really mean anything? (sighs) More questions than answers. Hmm, questions, questions. What exactly is Blade Runner trying to say? If you know, please do come and tell us at our Facebook page, or on Twitter, uh, where we can be found by searching for Diminishing Returns Podcast. And of course, there is always our very own website, dimreturns.com, where you can get all our back episodes and reviews of the latest releases and lots more. And do come back next week for a dramatic change of pace, as we take on a bizarre and long-running horror franchise.